Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. Today on the program, I am joined by Rick Collins. Rick is a senior marketing systems analyst with ConnectWise, and they are based out of Tampa, Florida. Uh, let me give you the backstory of how Rick and I met. We were both at a conference. It was the MarTech West conference earlier this year, and uh, we both knew we were going to be there, and I was uh, introducing a platform called Campaign Launchpad that we had been developing and showing to some of our customers, and I found out that Rick and his team were going to be there and said, hey, if you want to come by our suite and take a look, we'd love to show it to you. So that's how we got to know one another. Uh, Rick became a customer and has been using the platform, and along our journey together, he has uh, taken me up on my offer to grab a copy of the book that I wrote, Manufacturing Demand, and he read that, and he's been listening to the podcast, and today he is a guest on the podcast. So we're going to talk about lead scoring and ABM today, uh, but before we get into that, Rick, thank you for joining me, and thanks for um, being on the program. Oh, no, thank you very much. Uh, I'm a heavy consumer of uh, of your content, so uh, uh, it's an honor to be on here. Appreciate well, it. Yeah, you bet. I mean, it's it's interesting because I say on the podcast, you know, if, if anybody ever wants to suggest someone to be on the program or wants to be on the program to reach out, and and people do. And you and I were lucky enough to run into each other at a recent event in San Francisco, and uh, we were catching up. And I said, "Hey, you you should tell that you gave a great presentation." Uh, and I said, "You should you should tell some of that story uh, to the audience." And you're like, "All right," and and here we are. Very cool. I. And to be honest, I thought it was a token invite. I didn't think uh, I didn't think it would actually come of anything. So yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. Well, the, hey, you know what? That's a good lesson for me to know because that was not just a token yeah. invite. I, you know, I love as as we've talked about recently. I love being prescriptive and explaining to people, you know, the whys and the whats. But I love the how. Like I love to get into the how to do something. And when you, you know, talk to me about the book and, you know, the chapter on lead scoring and, you know, how prescriptive I was in that and breaking down the different lead scoring models and how to implement, that, that's my jam. That's how I like to do it. So I love finding people on the podcast that are willing to share their recipes. And, you know, when I see you give a presentation like that and you're unveiling how you guys go about doing what you do at ConnectWise, it's, it's awesome. Well, thanks again for joining. Let's, let's dive in. So... Um, you know, for everybody on the program, Rick's in a, I think, a little bit of a unique environment. Maybe not, but he is in the operations department. He's not technically in marketing. It's more of a dotted line uh, to marketing, a support function. I do see this in a number of customers that we work with where they've got, a, you know, a, a partner in IT or a partner in operations that's not in marketing to help them with uh, technology. And then sometimes you see that over time morph where some of those operations resources end up in marketing when they build out a marketing operations team and, and pull those folks in that have the expertise. And I'm wondering, Rick, if there's any lessons to share there, your thoughts on you know, whether it makes sense to, to have that function be in operations or better served in marketing, if you have an opinion. Let's start there, and then we'll jump into the, the lead scoring initiative. Sure. No, that sounds great. Um, you know, I think there's just or there's advantages and there's disadvantages. Um, I, I think from an advantage side, um, I'm kind of the neutral party. Um, I represent marketing in a lot of cases. I speak on behalf of marketing, but 
uh, from when I'm meeting with um, operations, with development, with our IT side, they see me as kind of this neutral party that, oh, yeah, Rick's speaking on behalf of marketing, but he's not marketing. And so if they have any, you know, kind of preconceived notions towards marketing, um, I, I kind of, that neutral party, I think, um, you know, helps quell some of those fears or, or some of that. Um, so there's, in, in that way, I think it does help. I think uh, I, I have kind of a connection into operations. I see that marketing doesn't necessarily naturally have. Um, and we're, you know, a decent sized company, about a thousand employees. So um, we're separate buildings. So there's sometimes some, um, a little bit of silos that, that can be created from that. Um, I like to think that by me being in operations, I can have a little bit of view into some of the things happening over in IT and in operations. Um, so th- that is helpful. I think um, from my personal um, experience, it, it can be challenging. Um, and, and part of that is, you know, I get, I basically get my directives and, and really my goals from our marketing leader. And, but I don't report to our marketing leader. And so he's um, he's a recipient of my work and of everything I'm doing, but I don't get the, uh, you know, necessarily the, the benefits of reporting to someone who I'm delivering to. So that, that can be a challenge from a, a career perspective, but I, it's not that big of a deal. I work so closely with marketing. Most people think I'm in marketing. And, and so it doesn't, it really isn't that big of a deal. I think more it's just kind of how the org charts uh, perceived. So it hasn't been that much of a challenge or anything like that. Uh, but, you know, I think if I had my way, I would probably um, go down what ser- the serious decisions path of kind of how they have uh, the recommended chart of marketing operations kind of being that key voice and almost um, that, that right-hand man to the CMO to, um, to really help influence some of the initiatives and, and the strategy and to try to um, operationalize those things. And I, I think yeah. we're just kind of... Um, we're still a little new to formalizing some of that. So I think down the road, that might be uh, a direction we take. But at this point, I'm a neutral party. And I, I think uh, in a lot of ways, it, it works pretty well for us. Well, there's there's someone else that I'm thinking about that I hope to have on the program someday. And she, I know she's an active listener to the program. So I'm just going to tease her a little bit. You you know who you are <laughs> and your, your company is a three-letter acronym. So that's all I'm going to say. But she has a partner <laughs> in operations as well. And to your point... I would never know that you were not in marketing. Nobody would ever know that you're not in marketing. You know, when you speak, yeah. when you present, um, you would not know that you're outside um, in a different function because you talk about the people and the processes and the technology that you're using, and you would just immediately think that that person is in a marketing operations function inside the marketing department. And if I can share, you know, as as we've gone through your org. Um, there was an episode I did on Demand Gen Radio with Jen Demas, and we talked about accountability charts and what marketing organizations look like. Uh, I think the uh, lessons from a first-time CMO, I think, was the episode. And we talked about the accountability charts. And so you've got, under your head of marketing, you've got a digital marketing function, which is where your Eloqua administrator and your paid media and Demand Gen is. You've got a uh, product marketing function. You've got marketing development or sometimes called lead development. You've got a project management function, which is awesome that you have that. Um, not always the case, which is which is great. And then you've got creative, and then corporate marketing. So a lot of big pillars underneath marketing, but you know, technically marketing operations isn't under that, as you said. And you're there as a as a business partner. And you know, Rick, I think um, you know, kudos to you for the marketing acumen and the technical acumen that you have, because 
you know, I've seen other marketing departments work with IT as business partners, and they don't have the marketing mindset. They don't have, um, they don't have the expertise that you have. So, so much of the requirements really need to be so well defined that it, like you said, feels like a silo, and it's difficult to get traction there. And then the other challenge is workload. You know, if the priorities in that other department are not the priorities of marketing, these. Uh, projects could, you know, take forever and you are dedicated to the marketing team, which means that your priorities align to theirs, it sounds like. Yeah, definitely. And I, you know, um, all those things, uh, I mean, it's true. We, it's a challenge to, um, to kind of find that person that can, can kind of speak technical, but also, um, interact and, and really, um, be that bridge between. And that's kind of how I built my career is kind of being a bridge between IT and, and, and the business and especially marketing and sales. But we, we have some really smart people here that, um, that make it easy. Uh, so, so it's definitely a, um, a really strong team, um, especially in our marketing department. We, we have, uh, some really, uh, smart people that, that I get to work with and it's, it's been a lot of fun. Cool. All right, well, let's talk about lead scoring. So first, um, how did the lead scoring initiative come to be? When What prompted that for you guys to say, hey, we need to prioritize the leads and score them? When when did that happen and, and what kicked that off? Um, yeah, so it, it actually happened before I got here. Um, I've been with ConnectWise for about um, 18 months. Uh, and, and at the time when they thought up our um, senior VP of marketing, uh, thought up my position, it was a new position, they created it. Um, just kind of struggling with how to um, move forward and how to really think uh, with all of the technology that we use and that we needed to um, to implement the strategy and the um, the vision that he had. Uh, he really felt like we needed somebody or some function that could really handle that. Um, so that's how my position got created. But really, our um, lead volume uh, was was probably the big driver. Uh, we get about twenty thousand uh, inbound leads a month. Uh, so we have a pretty heavy flow of, of lead traffic and sure. our marketing team does a great job of, of creating that, um, that demand gen. Um, but it's from a sales perspective, we don't have unlimited resources on the sales side. So rather than continue to just add more salespeople, create more territories, uh, and, and have more people follow up, we really started to embrace the idea of prioritization and, and how do we really prioritize leads and, and get into this, uh, you know, kind of the new age of not just following up with every lead. Um, and sales would always say, I think, you know, you've referenced this quite a few times, Dave, is, you know, sales will always ask for, I want more leads, but I want better leads. Right. And, and we've challenged, we, we can give you a lot of leads, but they're not always good leads. Right. And, and so we really started to struggle through that. Um, so it, it kind of got started before I um, I started at ConnectWise. Um, I think we had kind of the um, high-level view, read kind of the, the basics from Eloqua. What does Eloqua recommend on a lead scoring model, and, and how would you do that? Um, so when I came in, in place um, about 18 months ago, we, we were – not really that far along with it, um, but we had kind of started those those first steps. Um, our, our director of uh, digital marketing and our uh, head of uh, digital strategy had kind of started that, and they kind of passed the baton to me to to take over and and kind of lead the team with that. And uh, they were heavily involved. And so then we we have a key I, I, I would call her a partner in sales that that is over kind of the business development um, side of things. And 
Um, she was really our key voice into sales and to trying to get alignment between sales and marketing as it related to, um, to lead scoring and how we would set things up. Yeah. And so we started on the journey. We, we went down the path of um, kind of the Eloqua recommended profile and engagement model. And so we have a, a alpha score of the profile fit that was based on form fields that uh, lead would submit. And it was based strictly on whatever they put in those form fields. There was no um, third-party data enrichment or any validation that we were doing. We were just taking what they put in and tried to um, uh, derive a score from that. And then the engagement score um, was a numeric score that was based on um, their digital profile. So what were they doing? Were they visiting high-value web pages? Were they um, what type of forms had they submitted, high-value versus low-value? Um, email opens, click-throughs, that kind of thing. And so we, we merged those two scores together and, and started uh, working on the architecture to deliver it to sales. We found pretty quickly um, that it was a challenge. I think most of our challenges were around the, the profile data really wasn't necessarily reflective of them being a good fit or not. And, and so we we kind of struggled through that a little bit, really tried to, to optimize that. And um, that's where that's when I um, started to think of and start to research um, technology. What what can we do? There's got to be um, vendors out there that, that do this better or that, that help us with um, not asking for 20 fields um, on a form, but also making sure that we can um, have a little bit more insight in, into who this profile is and are they a good fit for us. Yeah. Um, and that's when I came across Mintigo. Um, so I evaluated quite a few um, vendors that kind of my role is really to evaluate our stack and um, continue to stay up to speed on what all the uh, MarTech vendors are out there. Um, and, you know, what is it that what's our strategy? What do we need? And try to bring those um, potential vendors and potential partners that can help us solve um, some of the issues we're having, bring that to the team and try to get alignment if it's something that makes sense and, and start to move forward. And so Mintigo was one of those that um, I saw a, uh, I think it was a webinar um, with Eloqua, uh, kind of a shared webinar that I, that I watched. And, um, it just hit all the marks that, that we needed. It was all the things we were struggling with and it, it was just the right tool, right partner for us at that right time. Um, and, and so we I started the process of working through our team to see if we could uh, evaluate it and, and bring it on. And so that's what we've morphed into. So we started out kind of the, that initial phase of, of a profile engagement score. What we've done since then is we've implemented Mintigo, which is a predictive lead scoring engine yeah. um, uh, that creates an ideal customer profile um, and, and really helps prioritize leads. And it can be in any way you can do it you can set it up a lot of different ways there's a lot of, there's, it's very powerful it um, has a lot of third-party data enrichment um, intent um, uh, third-party intent as well as incorporating our first-party uh, data that we have and so bringing that all, all together and so where we've gotten to today is um, we use mintigo to um, rank the profile side of it and so uh, we have uh, a nice integration that the Mintigo and Eloqua has where leads come into Eloqua, sends it to Mintigo, gets the score, brings it back, and then we feed that into our lead scoring engine. And then we're still using our engagement score uh, to have that digital footprint to know um, how engaged are they. Are they the right fit? That's one thing. Mintigo is telling us that. And then how engaged are they and trying to feed that over to sales? Yeah. I think the, the big struggle, you know, Dave, that we've found and your book has really helped, your podcast has helped is, uh, is kind of a, a light bulb, uh, 
for me as I as I read kind of your thoughts on lead scoring and, and the simplification of lead scoring. I as the technology guy, I it's easy for me to over architect things and, and I think that's kind of what we've done and we've learned from that. We we've probably put a little bit more or too much um, architecture in place for the the lead scores. We we're presenting too many lead scores, multiple product lead scores. So we were giving them a little bit more information than I think what sales was ready for. Right. And even though we had a nice partner in sales, um, it just, we found that it really wasn't helpful um, and sales wasn't using it the way we were hoping. And and so we've, we're starting to kind of go back to the drawing board and um, really basing some of your recommendations from your book um, and from your podcast on how do we simplify uh, this lead score and how do we present it in a better visual presentation to sales so that it's actually helpful for them. Yeah. So important. I, you know, um, I would encourage anyone as you did to go and grab a copy of manufacturing demand or reach out to me, happy to send you a digital copy. I always kid around that I am uh, on the New York times best giver list. No, I really want the information (laughs) to get out there. And it's, it's clearly, it's been beneficial to you and so many others. Let me break apart some of the things that you shared because you went through a lot and I think there's some really key points to hit. First of all, you know, Rick has said a brand name a few times. He's mentioned Eloquiz and Marketing Automation System. And because, you know, myself and my team has so much expertise and proficiency on all the top MA systems, I want to make an important point. It is rarely ever the marketing automation system that determines the success or failure of a lead scoring system. Um, they are different. So, for example, in like the Eloqua and Marketo uh, camp, those systems have tremendous flexibility in terms of how you build your scoring programs. And for geeks like Rick and I, if I can affectionately call you a geek. uh, You can. I'll take it. All right. Awesome. You know, we want to be able to code up things that have a great degree of flexibility. And, you know, in the book, I I talk about the different type of lead scoring models. And sometimes people will do like an interest-only model where they just take digital body language and they look at as Rick was saying, the, you know, what pages you've been to, have you looked at high value content, um, key areas of the website, like if you looked at a pricing page or other buying intent behaviors, and then you roll up this engagement score and all that stuff is good. And I got to tell you, like we have perfected that over the years. Um, you know, as you've been talking with my team, like our models for, you know, producing someone who really is engaged and is interested, um, is, has been, you know, a bit of black magic for us over the years and really getting that dialed in. A lot of people, you used almost the term, you know, like educated guesswork in the past. And if you don't do it right on the engagement, you'll produce false positives or possibly even Mm -hmm. false negatives. So there is a science to coming up with the engagement part of the scoring. And so Marketo and Eloqua let you a high degree of flexibility uh, for doing that. And you can measure behavior, and then you called it, you know, the profile or the fit score, which is the explicit criteria. Um, HubSpot and Pardot, less flexible, Um, probably good for someone who's getting started with lead scoring, and maybe doesn't need a very sophisticated model or multiple models. But a lot of our midsize and enterprise clients need um, different models for different products or, or just even different models for different business units. But if you want to get a basic lead scoring system in place and part out our HubSpot, you can certainly do that. And if you want a high degree of flexibility, you do what Rick does, which is you know step up to one of the uh, more sophisticated, more powerful marketing automation systems that you can do more things custom. I believe uh, that the best model 
is a hybrid model that is both fit and behavioral. And I, you know, if you're going to get started somewhere, then maybe just focus on behavioral um, because it will show you people that are more engaged. But you can produce false negatives there because just because yeah. someone's you know interested in your content and your site, like our blog has thousands of documents and articles and videos and podcast episodes, right? Someone could consume a ton of that, but not be a good fit for demand gen. And so that's why the fit yeah. score. But then what you did, Rick, is you said, you know what? Educated guesswork, okay, fine. Let's talk with sales and let's come up with what the tall, dark, and handsome criteria is. You know, as I often say, you know, in the book, I think I compare it to uh, eHarmony, where, you know, let's figure out what those dimensions of compatibility. But what Mintigo does, right, is put, you know, machine learning and, and artificial intelligence against it. They have hundreds, if not thousands, of data points that you would never ask on a form or never even think to ask to say, this yeah. is a good lookalike, this is a good fit, and you're incorporating that fit score into your overall lead score. And that really is the best way to do it. And I think you know from the book, which I published the book in 2012, that's, you know, depending on when you're listening to this podcast right now, as we're doing this podcast, that's six years ago. And I said in the book, you know, predictive is coming and it's now here. And people have really, yeah. you know, as you said, done the research and find platforms that they trust and like and are corp incorporating it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, I think um, one of the things uh, that we've we've still we're still trying to fight against is is sales. Our sales team has always been interested in um, the engagement score. And so everything has always been around engagement and engagement's the most important thing. Um, and we've, we we kind of ignored the profile part of it. Um, and for the longest time that it was only the engagement score. Did they did they do a trial? Then I want to talk to them. It doesn't matter if they're the right fit. And it, so what that really caused was a lot of uh, frustration with marketing because why are you giving me all these bad leads? Because they're not the right fit, but they're doing trials and they still wanted those. And so we're still trying to kind of move through that where we we combine those two things. Is it the right fit? And they're taking the right action. Now we give that to sales and now, hey, we're delivering the right leads for you. So I think it's really important to, to take both of those into effect. Yeah. So, you know, if anybody wants to learn the different models, um, reach out, um, certainly connect with Rick on LinkedIn if he wants to share some of his own approaches. I've got the podcast and the book, but let's dive in a little bit further because there's some things that um, we touched on that I want to make sure we drill into a little bit deeper. So first is, you know, um, I said earlier that it really doesn't matter what marketing automation system, you know, like you're not dependent on the success of your scoring system from a marketing automation perspective. That's not necessarily true for very large, complex environments. But I'm, uh, you know, across most companies, why is that not such a dependency? Because I'll tell you, what I've learned, and and Rick, you can lean in on this, is the success or failure of a lead scoring program or lead scoring system that you've rolled out is the use and adoption by sales. Yep. And that's where the success or failure is going to be. So yesterday I was having a conversation with uh, another company, and they were talking about gating. Now, they don't have um, the good fortune that you have where you're generating 20,000 leads a month, Rick. They will say just the opposite, that we really don't need lead scoring because we don't generate so many leads that our lead development team can't get to everything. So, so that's a different problem that they need to solve because I really think yeah. that you should almost be overproducing on lead volume, quality lead volume. But that conversation led to a topic around gating. 
And I want to say and go on record that I do not feel that you should really ever gate your leads from going into your CRM. You know, score everything, send everything, but don't use lead scoring as a gating mechanism because you rob yourself from doing things like campaign attribution and other, um, we could go through a long list of value that comes from having the record over there. What you need to do is develop an SLA, a service level agreement with sales that says, when we generate these leads, this is your follow-up. And again, that's not marketing dictating that, that's part of the alignment process with sales, but it's part of, um, you know, that if you get an E, maybe there is no follow-up, but the lead's there, it's an E, it's an inquiry, it's not an MQL, but it's still being engaged by marketing through nurtures or what have you. So send everything to the CRM is normally best practice. Um, there may be a reason why it should be different for someone else, um, but look at sales. And remember, we were talking about the story of Case um, before they were Dell, and I was saying, you know, I was sitting in the office, uh, sitting by, quote, their best salesperson, and they had a preliminary scoring system before my company, you know, came in to help them. And they said, this is our best salesperson. He's a big fan of the lead scoring system. You got to sit with him and he'll tell you what he likes and, you know, part of our discovery process. So I sit down with him and he's going through, you know, they're using Salesforce and he's got, you know, his leads up on the screen, but there's no lead score on the lead list. So he opens up a particular record and then he starts scrolling on the lead view. And he's like, "Uh, so the lead score, yeah, it's... um." Yeah, it's it's uh, it's down here, and I can tell like he's looking for the field with a numerical value and the word lead score. He can't see any of it, and then he finally gets to it, and he's like, "Yeah, it's it's seventy two And I'm like, "What do you think?" And he goes, "It's good." And I go, "What what makes you say that?" And he says, "Well, it's like on a scale of one to a hundred, right?" And uh, seven, no, it's kind of like a C. So, so you you failed right there. I mean, if that if your lead <laughs> scoring system cannot be found is open for interpretation, and the, quote, best salesperson who's, quote, a fan of, of lead scoring um, doesn't actually have a view of all the leads, all scored and prioritized, you have failed in your implementation. So that's, that's the most important part of the equation. And, you know, sales is never static, right? There's new sales reps coming and going on a regular basis, so you need to provide training and onboarding. We have someone starting this week at Demand Gen, and she's coming to headquarters next week. And you can be sure that a big part of her onboarding and continual training is us making sure that she has learned and adopted our lead scoring system so that she is not wasting her time on the leads that she shouldn't be engaging with and is focusing and following up the right way at the right frequency. Um, I want to ask you, Rick, like you guys have built your own CRM. You don't use Salesforce, if I can share that. So how are you tackling that challenge of making the UI um, such that sales is going to use and adopt it? Uh, I think you really touch on something that's um, super important and, and you address it in the book as well, but um, the best lead scoring model and system and development, it can look pretty. It can be, it can be based on the best information and data you have, but if nobody uses it, it doesn't matter. And um, it, you know, that's, that's such an important thing. Adoption is really the number one um, it, it, adoption and understanding. It's, it's what we need to, to make sure is happening. And so, um, it's super important. So yeah, one of the things that we've um, we've done is uh, so our, we um, ConnectWise, we're a software development company. We have a, a suite of software for technology providers um, and technology teams to operate their business. And one of those uh, products that we have is called ConnectWise Manage. It allows them to run their business. It has a CRM function. It has help desk, uh, ticketing, project management. Um, it has quite a bit all involved. And so we use that um, internally, and that's what our sales team uses. Um, it, it's 
it's not really designed to be a lead management system. And so we created our own internal lead management system and we partner with our internal development team uh, who owns that and, and built that out. And so part of this journey through lead screen that we've been on over the past uh, year uh, or so has been redesigning that lead management system to be more front facing for our sales. And so our sales reps can get those leads and they can evaluate them and we can enrich it with third party data with Mintigo information, not just their rank and their score of uh, predicting them, you know, are they the right fit and what are they going to do? But with additional insights, you mentioned they, they have thousands of insights that they're providing to us. We can uh, determine what are those insights that sales really cares about that, that seems to indicate uh, that this is the right profile and feed those in uh, to our sales reps. And so we're, we're presenting that information for them. We're doing some other enrichment through some other uh, data providers that, that we can present new leads to them, um, these marketing qualified leads that they sales can then accept and reject. And, and so that's, that's the interface where we will um, start to build some of that, um, I guess, more visual stimulating force. Uh, we have not done that yet. Uh, this is a, fairly new revelation that, that we want to start to tackle. Um, so that's I on the path. It is. It's on the path in, in, in the future. And it was interesting. Uh, I, you mentioned it in the book uh, about how important it is to sit with sales and go through their life as a marketer to sit and, and observe and understand what they're going through. And, and I've definitely found that in my career, not just with sales, but just the technology guy, quote unquote, um, to sit with the business user, whoever the user is, whatever they're doing, whatever problem I'm trying to solve, to, to really understand what it is they're looking at. Because I make assumptions, I talk to maybe the leader of that organization um, or that department and find out what they think. But until you sit down and, and really understand what it is they're looking at, what it is they're struggling, what are they looking at, you kind of miss some of those things. And so there's so much insights you can you can gather from those conversations. And, and we were in a meeting a few weeks ago um, talking about the lead score and showing them, you know, here's what the interface looks like. This is you know, where it is. And uh, one of the guys spoke up, one of the users, he said, well, I don't look at that. I said, what do you mean you don't look at that? Oh, I just look at this field right here. And it was our old lead rating that really didn't mean anything anymore. We were actually yeah. trying to get rid of it. And that's all he looked at because that's what he's always looked at. And that's all anybody cares about. And so like that, you know, big light bulb goes off like, oh, Maybe we need to rethink this. Maybe yeah. we need to really uh, dive into this and, and learn what, what, is, what is it that you guys want and how do you want to see it and, and what's the best way like at a quick glance that you see it, you know it's good, and then we have those well-defined and a lot, have good alignment with sales. And so that's the, that's the path forward. That's where we're going. Um, we've got probably a, a skeleton of what we want to do, um, and, and we're going to um, start moving that forward probably by the end of the year, have something in place um, that, that's a little bit more um, aligned with what what I think our sales teams wants. Great. Well, I'm glad we are helping you. You know, um, we'll try to do this on the podcast and paint a picture for you in your mind. So what our lead scoring views look like that we recommend and we've documented and provide all the graphics and tool sets. It's it's almost like an installer for, for Salesforce to get it to look this way. Um, you know, in the lead view, when you're looking at all the lead records as as a BDR or LDR or SDR, whatever you want to call them, whoever's whoever's on the recipient end of the leads, you can see all of the leads, not just the name and contact information, but to the left of that is 
um, typically stars. We have some clients who actually have slot machine graphics that we've made for them where they have, you know, bars going all the way across or lucky sevens going all the way across. But for the most, most cases, it's, it's one to five stars and those stars indicate, you know, the rating of A through E. And then right next to that are thumbs and flames. The three thumbs up represent the highest level of fit and the three flames would represent the highest level of engagement. And one, two, or three of either of those thumbs or flames represent different levels of that. So if you picture like a nine box grid, where up in the top right corner would be your A lead. That is the best fit, you know, level three of fit and level three of engagement. And then the lower left corner is your E. That is your lowest level of fit and your lowest level of engagement. And so that's what a two-dimensional scoring system does is is puts scores the lead into one of those nine boxes and the ui in your crm just really has to have that pop so that you can see okay these are my a's these are my b's c's d's and e's and then the the reason for putting the thumbs and flames next to that um is that uh you know enables the sales rep to understand for example is it a is it a c because they're very engaged or are they a good fit but not very engaged? So, you know, depending on what you label of the nine squares is going to determine whether they're an A, B, uh, C, D, or E, and then those different three levels. And the reason that I prescribe that and my team implements that most frequently for our clients is because um, there's a high degree of customization capability there, and it really limits the, the false positive, false negative, because a lot of people use cumulative scores. So they add up all the engagement or they add up all the, the fit, and then they come up with a, a 100, a 500, a 300, a 1,000 number, and whoever has the most points is the highest scored lead. Well, that just, it, again, it doesn't, it doesn't often work, uh, and it's, it's hard for sales to understand because the scores are all over the map as opposed to just quantified into one of five buckets. So hope we get you down that path, Rick. I know doing your own CRM and you guys customizing that, that provides both opportunity and challenges, but uh, no doubt that we will will get you there. And that UI is just so critical combined with service level agreements. So if there's an A, you know, what is the speed to lead? Like how fast should they follow up? How should they follow Mm -hmm. up? Calls, emails, outreach, how, what frequency over what duration before they recycle it? or um, possibly even uh, disqualify it. So, uh, and don't set it and forget it. Optimize your lead scoring system. Uh, you know, just, just keep optimizing. It's one of those projects that you're never done with. And kudos to you, Rick, for taking the time to go research platforms like Mintigo to find one that will take a lot of the educated guesswork out and then add, you know, how does Netflix know when something's a 98% chance that you're going to like the movie? Well, they're using yeah. data points that are just, we've never even thought of um, to uh, to put out there. Speaking of which, uh, maybe as we get near the end, you know, House of Cards, You are you a House of Cards watcher? I've seen her house cards. You're not? Yeah. Okay. So so that's a Netflix yeah. show that was derived from essentially machine learning. They they figured out what actors and what uh, themes and what directors uh, get people really uh, sticky in watching content. And they created that show based on uh, their learnings from that. And I guess they never expected Kevin Spacey to... Uh, 
you know, have, a, have, a, <laughs> yeah. have a turn of events. Yeah, I understand. But they yeah. just came out with the next season, and of course, it shows on my Netflix that I have a ninety-eight percent chance of still liking that show. So I guess it wasn't for me, Kevin Spacey, but it must be other factors as well. Um, anyway, that's that's what uh, tools like Mintigo does. They take thousands of different data points. They look at your closed one, uh, you know, accounts, and then they match it up. And so if a field inside Mintigo says, you know, here's that degree of fit for the company or the contact, and you take that field and you bring it over into your scoring model, you're going to have that much more of an accurate and precise uh, scoring system. That's, that's, that's the need. That's the challenge. And lucky to have folks like you with your technical acumen and, and focus uh, on helping marketing, you know, discover these tools and then build out the systems. Well, yeah, and you, you touched on it, um, the the SLA part of it, and um, that's a key um, that I, I hope uh, your listeners don't don't pass over or gloss over, right? Um, we spent before we did anything, uh, we we established those SLAs, and we got agreement with it was a partnership between sales marketing and sales really drove what those SLAs should be, um, what the time frame of the uh, the follow up would be, how much they would follow up. When do they accept the lead? When do they reject it? And what does it mean if they reject it? How does marketing know uh, this type of rejection means we are going to completely remove it from the system versus this type of rejection is going to be something that we nurture and we start to move forward along along the nurture campaigns? Um, and we got you know led by sales. It certainly wasn't led by yes. me. Uh, but there was a partnership there, and then we got buy-in from sales and marketing leadership, and and that that really drove. That was almost the requirements that drove everything else. Um, we had ideas of what we wanted to do from a system side of things, from a lead scoring side of things, but without that, uh, those SLAs and, and that process piece in place, and there's no way we would have uh, moved as fast as we did, um, or have had some of the successes that we've had. So. It's a key point. I just don't want to. I want to make sure the listeners don't gloss over that it was really important in our, for our success. Yeah, and and that's come a long way too. It's a great. I'm glad you reinforced that because again, that's the that's the success or failure of a lead scoring system is adoption. Um, I remember this was Concur way before they were SAP Concur. Uh, I remember working with with Brandy and Greg um, on these SLA workbooks that were handed out to the SDR team, and they were. Basically, if you could picture this, you know, there were they were Excel spreadsheets, essentially, and it would say, you know, this is a lead score of an A, and then moving out over time, like a Gantt chart, it would show colored touch points. So what to do day one, what to do day three, day seven, all the way out to day 21, and, and showing the, um, whether it was uh, an email or whether it was a phone call or a different type of outreach. So they knew very prescriptively that if I have an A, over the next 21 days, these are the various touch points that I need to um, you know, achieve. And whether there's a response or not, this is what I need to act on. And then what the prescription was. And you made the great point, Rick, which was you know, that this was not marketing dictating these things. This was a partnership through sales. So we sat down. In their case, the SDR team reported into marketing was actually just moving from sales at the time. So there was a lot of collaboration. And, you know, think about that. If you're generating, like Rick is, 20,000 leads, and let's say, because you know, there's a bell curve, there's always a bell curve, the majority of them are Cs, and you've created an SLA for a frequency of touch points that's just physically impossible to do. You know, that's why it's got to be a partnership, because based on your volumes, and, you know, it's just it's just not a wish list of like, hey, I want them to contact this lead, you know, every day for the next 20 days in this way. You've, you've got to see what's realistic. And you brought up the point 
sit down with sales, sit down with SDR, watch their day in the life of what they have to do, how many clicks they have to make, how many calls they have to make, how they need to type emails, how they write those emails, um, and you'll start seeing what their day in the life is like. I can't stress that enough. I'm glad you brought that back up because you know you you can't you can't come up with these ideas in a vacuum and then roll them uh, roll them out that way. Yeah. Definitely. Sounds like you guys are gonna we're gonna see each other later this week, um, which is which is cool, and we can talk more about uh, what's happening there. I'll introduce you to some folks from 3M and Booz Allen and and some other folks like you that are tackling the same projects. I think everybody's out there, you know, that it's like a it's like a carousel of projects that everybody's working on, and you're all working on them together, uh, maybe at different times, but so much knowledge and great sharing, and I hope people are. Um, you know, going to take away some lessons uh, from this podcast of you as as a practitioner that's going through this. Yeah, I, I hope so. I hope it, uh, it was helpful, and uh, I always uh, take ideas uh, from from presentations, from some of the podcasts, um, some of your podcasts I've listened to, uh, and there's there's always a lot to learn. Uh, so I appreciate it, and hopefully this has been helpful. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Rick, for taking me up on my my offer, and not not gratuitous offer, but let, let's get your story. <laughs> yeah told and uh, I look forward to seeing you later in the week and I hope for everybody tuning in that you walked away with some good nuggets of um, some lessons that Rick can share uh, again uh, Rick is uh, easy to find on LinkedIn we all are Rick Collins uh, out of Tampa Florida ConnectWise if you want to make another connection and, and maybe bounce some ideas off of Rick certainly reach out to myself uh, you know I, I love getting your feedback on the podcast I'm very accessible on LinkedIn I know the podcast that I did with Jen about the accountability charts uh, that I touched on earlier a lot of you followed up and said, hey, can I get a copy of those graphics? And I sent them out your way. So if I can talk to you about lead scoring, lead management, uh, ABM is another topic that Rick and I have talked about a lot uh, lately. Happy to help. So that'll wrap it up. Rick, thank you so much. I'll see you this week. And for all of you tuning in, thank you so much for tuning in uh, regularly to Demand Gen Radio and letting people know about the podcast and spreading the good word. Catch you on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.